What is up, you beautiful bastards? It's your boy, Keyboard Shortcuts, aka Rabbi Cantlose, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talk with the perfect man. Yes, I know that's a big thing to say about someone, but Tim Kennedy is one of the coolest, most badass people I've ever met, and I'm super excited to bring him on, especially right now while life is so wild. Tim and I talk about a lot of different things from working out, killing people, fighting in the UFC, starting businesses, and a bunch of other things. This guy's a Green Beret, he was a top 10 UFC fighter, and there's so much information. It was so exciting and so uplifting. I've been thinking in my head a lot, what would Tim Kennedy do? The perfect man. So you're gonna learn three major things in this episode. Number one, how to build discipline in your life. Number two, life lessons from the military. I've always been really excited to hear about that. And number three, why Tim is always learning. Like for instance, right now he's learning to fly a helicopter. Enjoy all that, plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Let me give a special pre-show shout out to listener Lin Yang from Singapore. That's far away from America. <laughs> she said, I listen to your podcast again because it helps me find the excitement in business again. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Please leave a review if you want to shout out in a future episode. And a special product plug before we jump into the conversation. Are you subscribed to my email list? I send a weekly newsletter on marketing tips. You can check it out at sendfox.com slash Noah. Free marketing tips every week. Sendfox.com slash Noah. I specifically focus on startups and business, and, and I'm curious to hear that part of your story because it's not a lot out there. But I think one of the things that I, I noticed for myself is that once I had a plan for my company and my personal stuff, I was like, oh, this is actually under my control. So I'm curious for you and your perspective on your plans and, and how you've approached some of that. I have like a approach, you know, and that approach I've applied to my time in fighting, my time as an entrepreneur, as an author, as a student, you know, from police academy, fire academy, EMT, to undergraduate, to grad school, to special forces selection, to UFC fighting to entrepreneur of, you know, a half dozen companies, the model is really similar. And that model is working hard, you know, it's being the first, and it's trying to be fast and efficient and productive. And, you know, the only commodity that we don't have control of is time. Just like when you took that sheepdog response course, we tried to maximize time. If you took a step back, not just like the quality of instruction, or the quality of instructors, or the way the course was laid out, or the way that we built things on top of each other, all of those things together, if you took a really a step back and like essentially tried to evaluate, okay, what were they trying to achieve here? And that's like efficiency and productivity into what our goal was, which is to make you better at protecting and preserving human life. So all of that just comes down to maximizing time. And that's what we don't have a lot of. I mean, what kind of plans do you have in place around how you're living day to day? The companies, like what, it, you know? I get up early, I work hard and I go to bed late. There's things that like I'm trying to like a booger flick off onto my kids so they do the same things. <laughs> like I know when I'm, you know, like here, here I am. This is what I was studying for my helicopter license all around me. And middle of the day at 12 o'clock noon, I like busted, hopped in a helicopter, flew with my buddy Shane and um, did like a hellacious workout for 90 minutes, came back and got back to work in the direct middle of my day. Let's just say I didn't do that. and like my productivity for the rest of the day would have been on like this trajectory, right? It would have just gotten less and less efficient and less and less productive as the day went on. Maybe heaven forbid, I like pick up Instagram and open it while I'm doing emails and then I go down that rabbit hole or I pick up my phone and I look at my text messages and I go down that rabbit hole or instead of like helping with this new business plan for this different venture, I like pick up a phone call 
that's not related to what I'm doing. And now all productivity into the project that I was focusing on is out the window. So, you know, it's prioritizing how you're going to spend your time and then being disciplined enough to be able to stick to that plan. So I was thinking about it today. I did a body pump workout with my mom. She's 65 years old. She can do more pushups than almost any woman I've ever met. It's really impressive. And I was about to give up. They're really hardcore. And I was like, what would Tim Kennedy be doing right now? Tim Kennedy be like, you fucking get your ass and keep going. I guess I was just curious, like, what's going on in your head? And who is Tim Kennedy? I am a lesser version of a bunch of way more successful people in my family. You know, from my dad to my brother to my sister to my uncles to my grandparents, I'm really like a an echo or a shadow to the things that they have done and accomplished. A template that I have that I kind of explain to you is, again, just a poor imitation of what I watch them do, you know, like watch my dad do and watch my brother do. And so it's um, big shoes to fill to be in this family. I'm surrounded by overachievers, you know, like guys that are in NCAA, like still hold records in NCAA rec- uh, record books, people that are in like the Hall of Fame for baseball. Some of the most famous moments in baseball history are my relatives you know, Olympians, lawyers, and then there's like, wait, so you enlisted in the army? You enlisted in the army. Interesting. That's a neat choice. And then you went on to fight. So you got hit in the head for a living. It's like, they don't care that, you know, it's a fought for world titles. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but some of that is true. It would be, especially for a lot of the people that follow me, they hate hearing words like entitled or privileged. Like I came from a family, even though like my dad was a police officer, my mom was like a marriage counselor and a piano teacher. So kind of like almost a stay at home mom. I was privileged in the sense that there's nothing that I would, that I could have done that I wouldn't have been successful at. And it was the same for my siblings. And I hope it's going to be the same for my kids, but that's all learned. That's all taught. I was resistant to the efforts of my, of my family, making sure that I followed in, in like the program. But uh, ultimately I kind of like, gave away. I mean, so what is it that we can each, you know, if we don't, we're not able to be born into your family, I guess what's going on in your mind or how can we start building some of that uh, ourselves? Interest, time, and love. Whether you're a manager, an executive in a company, you're a parent, you are a platoon leader, a platoon sergeant, you're a squad leader to the smallest level unit, smallest order unit to the largest order unit. Ultimately, like these characteristics ring true and that's transparency and truthfulness. You know, like I watched my dad fail countless times. I watched my mom fail countless times in every spectrum, in marriage, in fathering, in mothering, in business, in investments. But I also watched them step up to the plate like Babe Ruth and take a swing, right? Or Michael Jordan stepping up to the free throw line or looking for the pass right before the buzzer. That's like half the battle, right? Is just having the discipline and the choice of wanting to actually try. And if you fail, you fail. And then you come back and try again. I find that the people that end up being the most successful and being the best leaders are the ones that are honest, so truthful, and they're transparent in the fact that they're always trying to do this. When you think of someone in your life that impacted you like that, is your dad the first one that comes to mind or who comes to mind? So my grandpa, World War II, greatest generation, uncles in, in Vietnam, incredible uncles in Vietnam. I had one uncle leave college because my other uncle had a baby on the way and got drafted to go to Vietnam. And my other uncle was like, hey, you send that dude to Germany, non-combat, I'll enlist in whatever you want. By the way, I'm like Ivy League university athlete, you know? So like the recruiter's like, oh, dude, okay, okay, we got a deal. You know, he just got two for one. 
I have like Jocko Willinks in my family. Like that's my uncle. So when you're like, hey, who is like, was it your father? I'm like, man, I can't pick, you know, like the most extraordinary people were just around me. My brother, I have a nephew that has Down syndrome and being in college, being a collegiate athlete, you know, and when I was like picking a spouse, I'm like eugenics, I'm like picking the right stock to make sure I have the right offspring. So they too can be Ivy League educated athletes that go on to be Olympus and have the world on their shoulders. And then my brother falls in love and gets married and their first child, a son, my nephew, um, is born with Down syndrome, serious Down syndrome. And they're talking about, hey, we have to do surgery on him. We don't know if he's going to survive. We don't know the extent of Down syndrome. Here's me as Uncle Tim being like, oh man, did we just lose our next Olympian? You know, like, did we just lose the lineage of of how powerful the Kennedy family's going to be? And um, the first words out of my brother's mouth, I get choked up with the scene about it. You know, he like looks at my dad and he goes, man, I'm going to have a fishing buddy for the rest of my life. Talking about his just born son with Down syndrome. Like that's how fast he can rebound and move on to the next thing, right? Like that's the extraordinary, that's my family. That's the incredible selflessness that exists there. I'm not saying I have that. I'm saying those are people around me. My uncle, the one that went to Germany during Vietnam and uh, came back and went to law school and uh, you know became patriarch of that portion of our family. We have this beach house in Cambria overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Epic, beautiful. And we would, we'd go there for like our family reunions. So he brings in this like super extraordinary, delicious, beautiful, I'm sure hundreds if not thousands of dollar bottle of wine. And I grabbed because I'm, I think I was 17, maybe 16. And I was arriving kind of for the first time as what I thought to be an adult. Uh, so I was driving myself there and, um, I brought a bottle of Turning Leaf Cabernet Sauvignon. You know, like we're in California. It's normal. Every, you know, like if you show up for dinner, you bring a bottle of wine. So I'm like trying to do that. We have like the, these kind of Kennedy tacos that we all cook. And I still cook to this day. I do an elk version of it. But it's a recipe that was copied from my grandparents. My grandpa used to do them. And then my uncles did them. So that's what we're doing this night. So we're at this beach house. The whole family's there. And I show up with a bottle of turning leaf. And my uncle is like, that is so incredibly generous of you. Thank you for bringing this. You know, like, do you want me to open it now and have a glass? And I was like, sure, absolutely. We whatever you want. So he, he pops it and he pours some and he drinks some himself. And then, you know, I was like, oh, you, you already have a glass. And he's like, don't, don't worry about it. And he's like, well, thanks. I'm like, what are you drinking? And he's like, oh, I brought this down. And my cousin is like, oh yeah, we got this bottle of wine at blah, 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 blah. You know, and it was like, I don't remember how much it was, but I remember, you know, being at 17, it was like this extraordinary amount of money. You know, it's just like, and he like drank my wine, right? He starts cooking dinner and the sun's setting. I walk back into the kitchen. I was like, oh, John, why are you like drinking that bottle on like New Year's Eve, right? Or like Christmas? Like, why are you doing it on a Tuesday night while we're having tacos? He looks around and he's like, I'm surrounded by the most important things in my life. If not the only important things in my life, why would I not want to have it right now? Right? Why would I want to waste it on this pulp fiction event where it's lost in the ceremony and not in the moment? Right. And 17, right? Like this stuff is just like water on the, the back of a duck and how much I, I retained at the time. And I was like, okay, you know, but like looking back, like the profound wisdom in there's these random nuggets in a the kitchen with my uncle over wine. 
And those were commonplace. I mean, I could go on. The stories of my dad sitting on pallets of cocaine that he had stolen from Pablo Escobar. And my mom, my brother, my sister, and I went and picked them up dinner and brought it to this warehouse where they're all sitting around with MP5s. And I was like, why are you all here? Like, one of you could protect these. And, you know, my dad's like, would I steal any of this? You know, I was like, no. And he's like, you know, would, would John steal any of this? And I was like, no, I don't think so. And he's like, but that hesitation in that moment of doubt is the reason why we're all here. It's because I can be accountable for him and he can be accountable for me, right? Just another random story. So that's my point, you know, that's how I grew up. You have a dynamic of this like tough guy, murder worldwide, killed in every continent, Antarctica included. And you have like a softness, goofy, fun side that, you know, it kind of is one of the other, like I think David Goggins, I've enjoyed his stuff in the past. I don't follow it as much. And it's almost like too harsh. And you have this really interesting fluidity around you. It's like a renaissance of a new type of man that I appreciate. And, you know, it, it's influential in a positive way. It can be renaissance if it's new, right? Because- <laughs> What would you call it? Hopefully, it's a reinventing of something that's already existed. What I'm trying to do is show my kids and my friends and my business partners and the people that I work with the same things that I was taught. And- those were not novel, new ideas that the next generation over me had. You know, we can go back to books and from novels to docuseries. We see these same men over and over again in history. I'm just trying to fill some shoes. Where I want to go with that is for the people that weren't born in your family. And I was thinking about the people who are unemployed. Or I had great parents and a lot of people didn't. And maybe they're unemployed Maybe they're scared. Maybe they didn't have a lot of the discipline or the love that, that you were able to get. Like, what should they do today, especially now? Like, how should they start approaching some of this stuff? I see these kind of two opportunities, regardless of your upbringing. And that's to either copy what was good or to not do what was bad. So in the military, every time that we do something big, we do this after action review. And there's only two categories. There's sustain or there's improve. Sustain means that worked. We need to continue doing that. Improve is that didn't work. We don't do that. So as you look at your family or you look at your manager or your executive or whoever you're looking at, whatever situation, whatever person, whatever leadership, whatever parenting, and you just break things down into those two categories, punishing style. Do I spank my kids? Do I not spank my kids? Do I make them exercise as a form of punishment or does that ruin the fun of exercise? Every single one of these things, you just apply this category, these categories of this after action review of sustain or improve, keep or get rid of. And like, even if you come from the most broken home on the planet, that gives you more improves to work with. And if you came from the best home on the planet, that gives you more sustains to work with. But in either case, you already have a template to how to improve moving forward. And I work with people that came from nothing that are worth way more than me and that are way more successful than me in everything. They didn't have the same opportunities that I had, but they're still every bit as successful. And, and you look at the reasons why, and that's why. David Goggins is another example, right? Like look at where he came from and look at who he was before he went into Buzz. And then you're like, wait, what happened? What changed? Discipline came. That's what happened. Discipline. Those are choices of improves and sustains. So for someone today, is there, it sounds like in terms of the discipline and sustain, but how do they like maybe get a little W today? Like, what would you tell them if you could yell at them in their ears for the millions of unemployed? 
because the problem that I'm having is that there's millions of people complaining and blaming. And I'm trying to help put out some messages of like confidence, take some action, start taking responsibility, start in some W's in your life. It's hard right now. Like you can't go interview for a job. You can't walk into anywhere to try and find a new job because everywhere is closed. You can't go and try to better yourself in the sense that adding more things to your resume, more qualifications, or can you? Mm, I see what you did there. Right now, there is limitless opportunity for you to spend the time that you have to improve who you are as a person, right? I loved going all over the world. Like I was one of the last flights coming in from Africa before the complete travel ban shut everything down. Like look at my life. Last year, I was in like 20 something different countries. This year, it doesn't look like I'm going to go anywhere. So I could do nothing, right? I could sit on the couch. I could worry about my businesses closing. I could furlough my employees, maybe even lay them off so I don't have to worry about it. Or I could get up early and I could stay up late and I could make the wheel turn. And you say, well, how? How, right? Like, how am I improving still? Like, if you look at my resume, like, what else can I do? What else can't I do, right? I can improve my language. So when I go back, instead of being like a two plus two in my military language score, I'm a three, three. Instead of like being an aspiring pilot, I'm just going to go take my test the moment they open the testing centers because I already have all that crap memorized. All of those business plans that I've kind of been like putting off or the next phase looking at what this thing is going to look like, I can sit down and script every single thing and hop on every single call and hop on every single Zoom and bring in all the experts. So like the moment that door opens, I'm ready to sprint out of it like a horse heading back to the barn or the thoroughbred sitting there (laughs) when the race finally kicks off. So there is no excuse about how you could improve right now. We live in an era where everything is at the tip of our fingers. I love what you're saying about that. And I, and I think I want to highlight, people are like, oh, Tim, well, he had advantages. It's like, no, the reason Tim is Tim is because Tim has been doing the things that Tim is talking about, is that he's been learning. He's been looking to sustain or improve from earlier on. That's what you're still doing today. And sometimes people are like, oh, well, they just stopped working. No, that's why you are where you are and we're going to keep going because you do those things. One thing I, I was really curious about is like, what kind of woman did you marry? Because I was like, this guy fights. He kills, he's got businesses, he's traveling everywhere. I was like, what is that wife like? So I'm a toot my horn where I graduated from high school a couple of years early. I was done with, you know, undergraduate at 20, in graduate school at 20, you know, already a firefighter, EMT. And when I met my wife, she was not old enough to get into a bar and she was working on her master's undergrad in finance and economics, graduated from high school at 15, graduated from college at 19 in graduate school. And um, she has a government clearance. So every radio in the military and special forces, we have these crypto keys. And those keys put in like this secret kind of algorithm. It's like a code for us to communicate to each other. So people that are on that same frequency can't hear what we're seeing, even if they could find the frequency that we're in. So my wife was the one that was controlling those keys and keeping track of the radios. Like, you know, you're how old and you are doing what? And you have a, like, none of this makes sense. And this is impossible. You must be a foreign agent. And that's my wife. Yeah, it's pretty rad. How would she describe you? Uh, I don't know, maniac, crazy. Like, as I'm an extrovert, she's an introvert. As I am, like, in the fight or flight thing, if middle of the night has never happened, if the alarm goes off she would lay there frozen and say in her mind, and it's not because she can't do anything. 
It's because her mind is doing so many things. It's like, what is that? Where is that? Why is it happening? And I covers her off. It's been thrown over. I've grabbed my gun and I've already leapt out the door without thinking a moment <laughs> about what I'm going to do or what it is. Two completely different creatures of the same species. And that like applies to everything, right? Like the kid is swinging and he launches himself from the, the highest arc of the swing set. And it's like, okay, he's for sure going to break both of his legs. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to get there, but I'm going to run and I'm going to probably kill these three people in between me and my kid. But I might catch him right before he hits the ground. She's frozen thinking about, okay, am I getting the car? Am I dialing 911? Are we going to split in place? <laughs> you know, just totally different things. Totally. What you said or what I heard that I, I liked is that you're both impressed with each other and you're both complimenting each other well. Yeah. And she probably hates me too. It's like that Harry Ogre one more time. No. No, you cannot take our son or daughter, our six-month-old daughter, to go do this. That's idiotic. You know, I think if I heard correctly, you you had like a job in, in California, and then 9-11 happened, and you went and joined the Army and Green Beret and all these things. How did you figure out your business career after that? So I was working at a dot-com e-commerce pre-kind of dot-com bubble pop. It was actually like right when it was popping. What was the store? Parable Interactive. What did you guys sell? Or So if you were a bookshop, like a mom-and-pop bookshop, we would create a curated presence for you online for you. Like as, as people were realizing that online shopping was going to be a thing and everybody had to have their own website, a mom and pop in, you know, Oklahoma, there's no way that they could want to afford to hire somebody to build out their website and then make it functional for them. Well, everybody orders the same books. A mom and pop shop doesn't have anything different now than amazon.com. The only thing that Amazon did was made it effortless for you to spend money and get the thing that you're wanting. So that's what we were trying to do was we would create a template and we just had lots of different versions of that template. We'd get your image of what your, you know, your brand, your logo was, and we would create this template for your website. And then we could do, do the fulfillment and we could do the shipping and we could, you know, yeah, it was cool. And I was doing customer service for that. So East Coast, West Coast customers. I was on the West Coast. The reason I was at my desk at 9-11 was because I would, because I was the lowest on the totem pole, I would have to go in super early to answer all the calls from the East Coast customers. Did you have a life plan before that? Were you thinking, hey, I might do the military and I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to travel the world and, and do these things? No, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Have you seen Silence of the Lambs? <laughs> yeah. There was a serial killer oh. in San Luis Obispo, California named Rex Krebs. And I was a bouncer at bars in San Luis Obispo when he was going around and killing women. And uh, I was a student in college when he was going around capturing, raping, torturing, and murdering women. Matter of fact, my best friend's dad was one of the ones that went and found him and was able to put him in jail. Again, another example of just like who is around me. I remember being so scared for these women. And I remember walking the places that this guy would prey upon these women. And what do you think I was hoping would happen? He would do it. He would do it. Well, like I told you in person, like I wish I was in every single movie theater. I wish I was in every single Christmas party when somebody walked through the door and didn't like the fact they're doing a Christmas party or, or some racist walks into a black church to kill a bunch of black people, wherever it is. Like I just wish I was there. And that is not something new. That is not something post special forces. That is not something post growing up in a household with protectors. Like I remember being on like a church field trip 
And my mom, like the mom and duck, was walking down the street and we're crossing a crosswalk in San Luis Obispo, California. And a car blew through the crosswalk with her little ducklings behind her. And I remember my mom hit the rear view mirror and tear it off of a moving vehicle as she kicked it and dented the sides of the car. This is my mom. You know, remembering my dad in parking lots and malls in, in Southern California where we would hear a woman scream. I remember being like a kid, like five, six years old. I remember like not being able to move and I don't even think I could breathe. And my dad's looking at my mom and saying, stay right here. I'll be right back. And he opens the door and he runs out, you know, and grabs a guy that's hitting a girl and is like, and holds that guy until the police come. You're like, this is pre-cell phone. You're like, my mom had to drive to a payphone to call 911. People forget like what had to happen back then for just the cops to show up. And that was where I came from, right? And that's me at five years old or four, us four at North County Christian School and uh, Laura LeCary. She had just gotten a haircut and it was a little short. And I remember a guy told Laura or one, one of the other kindergartners told Laura that she looked like a boy. She's like, Laura, are you a boy? You look like a boy. He knew Laura wasn't a boy. So I followed this little boy up to the top of the play gym and I cracked him in the mouth and I pushed him off the top. Of course, I went to the principal's office and I got spanked, you know, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that again. Literally, I said that to the principal and, you know, like, he's like, did you learn your lesson? I was like, yeah, that he's a jerk. Laura is beautiful and I love her and she should marry me, you know, and that was 35 years ago. So now let's fast forward again. I'm in college and there's a serial killer going around and all the girls are scared. I want to find this guy and I want to wear his skin. I'm a wrestler. I'm already a professional fighter. And I was like, just for the love of God, let whatever creature, this like reincarnation of a demon in a human form that is doing this thing to these innocent people, let him do it in front of me and see how that day goes for him. So I want to go work for the FBI because before 9-11, serial killers were like the most evil form of humans, right? Before we had like the active shooter, like the school shooter or the terrorist. If you're going to put your finger on like the mala and say, like what is like the embodiment of the most evil form of, of the human race, of the human condition, it, it was a serial killer. And then you watch planes slam into a building and you watched Americans sitting in a window, looking back and having to choose of jumping to their death or burning alive. And then you're like, all right, I have now seen a new form of evil and I'm going to find where the fuck that is. I'm going to kill all of it. What are you afraid of though? Because like my inclination is like, oh, well, where's Tim when someone's attacking me? or it's not to run away, but it, I think that's the majority of our mindset. So I guess, what are you scared of or afraid of? Not being there. I know that sounds like so like stoic and heroic. My problem is I work too much. I love to work too much. Okay. Like, okay, just, just put your Tim Kenny lenses on for a second, right? So just like imagine being in my boots and I have had five years, five years with a man next to me that I know everything about his family. I was at the baptism of his kids. I was at his wedding. I was there the first time that his kid walked, took a step. I was there the first time with him watching on MySpace, um, communicating when his wife told him that their kid just rode the bike for the first time. And we tried to do a video call, but the, the connection wasn't good enough, you know, because we could only plug it into the computer. Like that's the beginning of the war. I was there for that, watching him cry because he couldn't watch his kid ride his bike. So when I say I'm, I'm scared not to be there, now imagine that guy, I leave, I go and I do something else. And that guy gets a new partner. And that partner falls asleep and they wake up with a guy 
with a gun and they're fighting guns and knife face to face, blood and spit and piss. And I'm not there. I left him. True story. Like that was my sniper partner. There's lots of pain of, there's names for it. You know, it's like survivor guilt. There's vehicle one and there's vehicle two and there's vehicle three. Imagine being in vehicle two and having everyone in vehicle one and vehicle three die. And then you live and then you go and find new great things. And then the other people that were in your vehicle, they continue doing what they're doing and then they get blown up or they get shot and you weren't there. Like, but had you been there, would it have turned out differently? It turned out different last time. You were there. So from my lens, the fear of not being there is a real thing because I've not been there and I've seen what happens. And like the pain that goes along with that is like horrible. Sheepdog response is an effort for me to be there. I'm trying to duplicate myself to thousands of other people, to tens of thousands of other people. It's interesting. I never thought I like that. Me being a Green Beret, our mission is to be a force multiplier, is me trying to duplicate myself all over the world so that maybe sometime, someplace, somewhere, there's a dude that's ready or a lady that's ready to be like, not today, motherfucker. You don't get to hurt these people. I think one of the things that's also inspiring is you found a calling for yourself that you've now dedicated your life to. And I think that for everyone, it's like, well, what is your own calling? Maybe it is to defend others. For me, it's to evangelize. It's to find someone like you who I think is doing greatness and help put it out in the world. So for every like brilliant Gates or Pollock to Mozart to Einstein, for every one of these like extraordinary people, there's a circle of people there to help it reach its conclusion, its crescendo. And you never know which person you are in that circle. And I say it's a circle because there's nobody in the middle because ultimately it takes everybody to get that thing done. You know, it's like Walt Disney was brilliant and he had a vision, you know, but like he didn't know about construction and he didn't know about a rider experience or the mechanical engineering that what it took to make a ride. He could draw a mouse. He literally could draw a mouse. And now look, you know, so like, it's a cautionary tale of you know, finding your purpose, I think is so much more important. And your purpose doesn't have to be extraordinary. Like if you are a great dad and that is your purpose, there is no higher calling than that. If you are going to be the CEO and executive of this company that does these great things and that can pivot and make masks for nurses that are trying to fight COVID in New York, like amazing, cool, do that. You know, if you're going to be a pastor, a youth pastor, a piano teacher, like a freaking wrestling coach, do you know how many lives you're going to impact? So one of my friends, Chris Perkins, sorry, name drop there. He got invited to work at this high school and he has a master's degree in education. You know, he could, he could go work for university and get tenure. But then he got kind of got offered at this podunk school in Texas to go and be the wrestling coach. He was, he's a great wrestler and he was a great, he'd be a great wrestling coach. And the job, because they don't have the ability to pay for him to be a wrestling coach, he has to be a teacher and then also do this. But they're like, well, all the classes are full for high school. So what we want you to do is work with kind of like the troubled ones that don't have enough credits graduate to help them graduate. And for a second, he's like, it's kind of an insult, right? Like it's a ding on his ego. Let me tell you about Chris Perkins, like a guy that was in the very beginning of the war and, you know, like fought hand to hand and was a drill sergeant and a platoon sergeant. And his entire adult life, he's been shaping wayward men to do incredible things. They don't know any of this stuff. He's telling me, and he's kind of like, man, I don't know if I want to do it. I, I just want to grab him by the scruff of his neck. And it's like, 
That is why God put you on the planet, is to do that for young men. There's no higher calling. Think about that, Chris. Think about the number of lives that you can impact in one year. Now, multiply that by the next 10 years that you're going to be doing this. You could literally save a thousand kids' lives, sending them to college, you know, getting them out of poverty and changing the course and the trajectory of their entire family's lineage, like the six generations of poor of Podunk, Texas. And then they meet you. And in one year, the first kid in the family's history is going to graduate from high school. Think about what that means. So find out what that is for you. Like I didn't literally slap him, but it was kind of like a, an emotional slap because he's like, yeah, yeah, he's going to save some lives. That's all, that's all I'm saying. Well, I think we touched about it a little bit in the beginning of this chat conversation, but I kind of want to come back just on that same topic. It's like, how can everyone improve their discipline or improve their hardcoreness? Little incremental changes in discipline go a long way. Mm. I don't remember what Jocko said. He's like, if you are looking for motivation to go and do something, you're always going to fail. The only thing that you're going to find success through is discipline. And you're like, wait a second. So I don't need to be motivated to go and get another workout in. I don't need to be motivated to go and dry fire. I don't need to be motivated to sit down and study my, my helicopter far aim 2020 book. No, you do not. That will always fail you. But discipline, discipline will not. And everybody's form of discipline is a little bit different. That might be a calendar. That might be a note card. That might be a little pop-up reminder on your phone. That might be you telling your spouse to hold you accountable. That might be telling a colleague to hold you accountable. That might be finding a workout partner that can go and work out with you every single day so that you are there to work out at that time. It might be getting a program for somebody that is going to make you do and improve as an athlete. So all of those are different techniques and discipline. And all of those have to be applied differently for every single person. But motivation will fail you. Discipline is where you'll find your success. Incremental improvement. Two things I just want to summarize, because I think sometimes as an audience, when they're listening to this or watching it, it's like, oh, that was good. But it's like, I'm, I'm just going to highlight. So the first thing you, you talked a little bit, especially with Chris and with you both ways is who's around you. And a lot of people, it doesn't even have to be geographically. They can be online. But who are you putting yourself around to elevate if you don't have the Kennedy family? Second thing is I love this little discipline stuff. I know I read a book, like I read this book, I'm reading it now. It's called Courage to be Disliked. And you know, at the end of the day, the book is like, you really just need to do what you really want to do. And it's like, there's no secrets in any of this stuff, but uh, it starts with small things that, that add up. When you're doing your sets, like you said, you went and worked out and it was fucking killer today. What's in your head? I, I asked you, but you didn't, I don't think I heard it, or maybe I want to hear it again. Are you, are you thinking like, yeah, I'm, I'm a fuck, I'm an animal, am I, am I, this, this is the gorilla mode? Like, what's in your head? Because like, sometimes what I think when I'm biking and I'm going hardcore, I'm like, dude, you're built for this. And I get like this fucking like craze in my eyes. I think about fear. Mm. So I say I'm an, I always want to be there, right? Yeah. Like my biggest fear is I'm not there. So that then means that I have to be there. And if I have to be there, that means I have to be ready to be there. And I have to be better than everyone else that is there. And whatever that thing is that is happening there, that means I have to have prepared for that thing that is happening. And all of that is, it's fear. We had the saying in special forces, when like you're sucking, right? You're in small unit tactics. It's phase two of the special forces pipeline, the Q course. It's raining. You've maybe not slept in a couple of days and you have 120 pounds in your rucksack. And they say, Hey, you have a new mission. You have to infill to this thing. We're going to be patrolling all the way. You just see guys emotionally and morally want to quit. And then, uh, the cadre who are incredible. Who's a cadre? What does that mean? A cadre is like a teacher, an instructor. Oh, okay. He brings, he's like, Hey, circle in, bring a knee, take a knee, face out. So everybody takes a knee and he says, drink water. 
So you pull out your, your canteen and you're drinking water and it's raining on you. You're in like the crap swamp land of North Carolina. And then he starts talking. You want to fall asleep. You want to do a rucksack flop. And he's like, hey, just think about this. Somewhere right now, at this exact moment, there is someone preparing to kill you. Right now, there's someone, this is post 9-11, that is planning how to get on a plane, how to get into a truck, how to get onto a train or anything and hurt innocent people. And they right now are training to do that. Are you training harder than them? Or are they training harder than you? And he's putting fear. He's putting fear in you, right? He's putting fear of failure. Where the first time that I went to war, am I going to be good enough? Am I going to die? Am I going to survive but not be good enough to save the guy next to me? And now as like a father, am I going to be good enough to save my family? So that's what I think about. You know, it's funny. You say fear, but I think on the other side of fear, you also said purpose. Like something lately with this whole stuff going on and this is my calling, dude. And you had a, you have a purpose to protect and that's your, your fucking, you can't help it. With the military stuff on, on that, as we were talking about that a little bit, what's it like to get shot at? Sucks. It's not like an out of body thing, but um, if you're standing there and you hear this whiz past your head, like that's just a tiny little bit of metal that's displacing air as it moves past you. There's this disconnect about what is the consequence of that thing touching you. Like it sounds like a fly, a loud fly going past you. So how is this, zzz, how is that going to kill me? Right? It's not like the movies, right? Where like windows are shattering and there's like an explosion and, but you're not going to look at it because you're cool, you know, and you don't look at explosions. You just walk away. It's the opposite of all of that. It's the most unceremonious, which is even more frightening because it's like, zzz, the disconnect is like, that was a bullet. Somebody's shooting at me. That was a bullet that just went past me. It's weird. What's it like being shot at? It's like sucks. You can't make yourself small enough. You can't find something big enough or thick enough to hide behind. You can't move fast enough. You can't communicate fast enough. You can't shoot fast enough. Your gun's not big enough. You don't have enough bullets. You don't have enough grenades. Everything's wrong. <laughs> you know, like I'm going to die. And so is everybody else. With How does that compare to the UFC feeling? UFC is just me. Right? I'm going to go out there, I'm going to scuffle, and then it's like over. You know, like I might be humiliated in front of millions of people. Like that sucks. My hands might be swollen, my face might be swollen, and I like look like Quasimodo. But like when you look like that already, it's oh, you don't got a lot to lose. <laughs> you know, it's uh, not to belittle guys that fight, you know, but it's just a fight, man. I don't know. To me, if I, I was trying to imagine myself with coming into the arena, and I've been to a few of the UFC fights, I went to Connors and with Diaz and few these other pretty that's cool yeah that, that was a wild day and um some of these other ones and trying to walk into the arena one with everyone watching and two you know I, i've been taking boxing for two years but i think i'm still a little afraid that's why i do the boxing classes yeah i mean it's loud there's lights there's people yeah there's a dude standing across from you that that wants to knock you out or choke you out you know there's a rush there but i like rushes you know like i like jumping out of helicopters you know i like stepping off the ramp of a c-130 to go skydiving i like being in an airbus at 24,000 feet on oxygen and trying to figure out how fast I can go in a, in a delta dive. I like being on mixed gas down at 200 feet looking at a U-boat that no American's ever seen before. Like, that's a rush. <laughs> I'm thinking like, man, I did a new Facebook ad. No one has ever seen this ad before. Like, that's my rush. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But no, yeah. no, you know, like you're so, so underselling yourself. Like you, you came to a class and you knew there's going to be savages there, both instructors and other fellow protectors and to like even put another feather in your cap you're like hey man 
I'll go first. Like, I'll try this. I'll wrestle you, Tim. Hey, that hairless ape over there, I'll take that guy. Yeah. You know, that black belt over there that's also a professional fighter, can I get around with you? I remember that. I saw you. Yeah. You know, so like your heart wasn't racing when you're like this dude that's murdered people most of his adult life is about to grapple with me. For some reason in the moment, I was like, I want to go into the hard one. That's what I'm talking about. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And multiply that into everything that you do. I think that's a good way to approach life. It kind of expands your capacity. I'm literally still sore from the class. I know that sounds like a wussy, but like, I swear to God, my ribs were like months were fucked up from, um, damn, is it Doug? Dennis. Oh, fuck, dude. He, uh, he, yeah. And he smiled when he did it. That was my favorite part. He's brilliant. He's a pretty neat guy. Got beat by a lot of people, dude. One thing is with the military stuff, is there anything like wild missions or unclassified stuff? Because I'm, I'm a civilian. Like this stuff is all, every, like you could say, yeah, you know, it's all wild and amazing to me. This was my special forces ODA. That's me right there above the American flag with a dumb smile. And this was a picture that commemorated us killing the number two terrorist on the planet, Zarqawi. So you had Bin Laden and you had Zarqawi. And that picture of us on top of that safe is um, after we successfully killed him. So they dropped some bombs after we cornered him and we literally found every single escape house that he had. And uh, then he died. And then we were like, Yay, you're a bad guy. It, it sounds weird to celebrate death, but like this is a guy that would drag people through the streets so everybody knew that who the people were and what the punishments would be. That like if you caught an American contractor, he'd strip them naked, burn them alive, then hang them from the bridges. The things that he did to women, like I'll never repeat. But remember what I said? Like there's a new kind of evil that wasn't the serial killer. Like he's the embodiment of that. So you can celebrate justice being served to those people. It's a wild life, man. It's funny, people, I was thinking people collect baseball cards or like, oh, I got this really good bottle of whiskey. You're like, well, I, uh, I killed number two first <laughs> in the world. <laughs> like, it's interesting because like on one hand, I'm like, how do you go from that to like, all right, now I'm at home and, and I know you're still doing a lot of things, but it's kind of interesting that I don't know how you almost transition to the, the less of that rush. Not that like soloing in a helicopter is the same as stepping off of a Black Hawk with bullets whizzing past your head. But uh, like I'm as anxious, <laughs> you're, you're laughing, but I'm as anxious about soloing a helicopter for the first time. You know, like I just learned how to hover two weeks ago. Dude, sick. Now, two weeks later, they're like, all right, we're going to, you know, like we're moving towards soloing and, and here's all the things that you need to do. So two things with that. One, how do you calm yourself down going into that kind of situation? The second part is like, how do you recharge when you are trying to just like build back up energy? But like going into the Blackhawk, I'm nervous hearing about it. And I'm like, okay, breathe. What's going on with that you can go into it? Confidence from preparedness. So the more you train, the less you bleed, you know, like the, the, the more you sweat, the less you fail. All of those things, they, they sound so like metaphor and irritating and like, I just don't want to hear another cliche motivational meme because I've seen it on everything, you know, but then like, but then you're walking in a helicopter and you're like, man, I just spent the last six months of my life preparing for this moment. Feeling pretty freaking good right now. You know, I just got off a, a pre-mission training where like I've been in special forces for three years. You know, went through the Q course, went to Sephardic, went to Sodic, went to Sipsic, like every one of these specialty shooting schools. And then I went directly to a special mission unit. And then in that special mission unit, we do this six month long pre-mission train up to go and do this thing. So there's four years of your life and now I get to do the thing. Like, do you think I'm feeling pretty prepared? Yeah. Yeah. Right. In that moment, it's your prepare and that's discipline. It, you triggered the thought around like Kobe Bryant or some of these people who win the games, but it's because they've been shooting those shots when no one's watching for so long. 
And so I love that you gave the example of like, you know, I didn't just go and get on a plane. Oh, okay, I'm going to jump down in this weird country and shoot this, you know, help kill this. But you were training for four years to get to that point. For the audience, just to highlight, I've, I saw you shoot when we were at the class. Shooting is like unreal. Like I'm five feet away and I can't get these targets. And I think, you know, one thing that I took away from the, the sheepdog experience that was big is that it's easy to get a gun. It's easy to do literally any activity in life, but it's a different thing to, to master it or to train for it and to be actually be good. And that, that literally applies to everything. How do you recharge, man? Like you're, you got the family and then you got the work and then you're still involved in, in the military. How, how do you recharge? That's something that like one of my favorite books, have you read Power of Full Engagement? Uh. It's, it's, it's got me thinking more like there's a balance of the active and then you got to plug the body in and, and get that charged up. Well, fortunately, a lot of like the active that I do is like, I love what I do so much. Like exercise to me, that is me recharging. That's cool. Me going and shooting is recharging. Me going and like this morning, you know, I said I did this horrific workout. I came back from that like so energized. I was just like, yes, I feel so good. You know, it's like, those are my lines of coke. I feel so <laughs> like ready to take on the world after I do these things. And those things are part of my life and part of my work. And so I've like craftfully, strategically created this life where I'm like rejuvenated from my work. And, you know, like as soon as we hang up, like I hear my family in the kitchen, I like, hang up this phone. I'm going to go in there and like, I'm going to have a, this epic Greek dinner with a, like a glass of wine. And um, maybe the kids are going to go to bed. I'll have a couple of hours of sunlight left. Uh, where are you at? I'm in Austin. Oh, yeah. I'm, I knew this. We have till 8 p.m. of light. So like, what can I do for the next two hours? Like, what project can I accomplish? Well, let me share a quick story with you. I actually saw you. I, we didn't, this, you know, Donald Park, right? Yeah. So Donald's a good buddy of mine. Five years ago, six years ago, he's like, hey, come do jujitsu with me. And I was like, ah, all right, fine. So I went to Atomic, the one over by, I think off the airport, the old warehouse. Yeah. And I did jujitsu with me and I did it with Tucker and a few of these other dudes. And it was fucking tough, man. It, that's some serious shit. And I remember seeing it, someone in the corner and he was taking on five people at once. Five people, and I'm barely hanging on. I barely could work with this one five foot woman that looked like my mother. She was, she destroyed me. And I'm like, who the fuck is taking on five people? But it was just only later that I realized that was you. And it was, it was cool to, uh, I think actually the, the most interesting part about that for me, when you watch two people on UFC at the elite level, you're like, oh, he fights, he punched, he kicked. Oh, yeah, like these are two dumb, you know, animals. And the level of excellence and what it actually takes to even be at that level to see was phenomenal. Yeah. You know, my buddy Shane, he teaches some of the sheepdog courses. Like he's just a Greek God looking dude. And he got an altercation with this dummy. And, um, you know, he fortunately was able to defuse it and walk away. You know, and he's, he's talking to me about it. He's like, man, I realized I could literally beat this person up without ever hurting them. And I was like, isn't that cool? Like he could have, <laughs> like the dude comes and tried to fight him pretty effortlessly parried a punch, taking the guy to the ground and put him in a position where he could just sit there and be like, hello, you're going to have to just uh, relax and stop <laughs> fighting me. And I was like, that's cool. Think about that for a second, like how powerful that is, you know, like what a superpower you have and uh, how extraordinary that is. What's a horrific workout to you? I love pain. So like we're like doing sprints and like a filthy 50 muscle ups. And so today we did an hour and 25 minutes of your heart rate staying plus or minus 1% of 75%. So you stayed 74, 75, or 76 for, no, it was an hour and 15 minutes, and then we finished. So that is just, you are just in hate rage mode 
for an hour and 15 minutes. You're just like sitting there looking at your heart rate and you're like, I'm at 75. Okay, I'm cool. I'm going to keep this pace. And then like your body kind of equalizes and stabilizes there. And then it goes down to 74%. You're like, oh no, oh no. So then you start pedaling faster. Then you're up at 76%. You're like, oh wait, wait, I can slow down a little bit. Okay, I'm back to 75. Repeat for an hour and 14 more minutes because that was just one minute. And then at the end of that hour and 15 minutes, you added a burpee every minute for as far as you can go until you couldn't finish the burpees in a minute. So you start minute one, you do three burpees. Okay. Minute two, you do four burpees. And you just add one burpee every minute. And minute one, you start at three. All right, I'll do it. That's a finisher though. Like that's not a workout. That's what you do at the end. Okay. You know, a lot of people go to the military, but not a lot of people do go to the elite levels, which I mean, they do. But the path that you took from there, that's the part, you know, we kind of started that in the middle of this conversation. I'm kind of curious how that, that came about. I didn't really see anything and I was curious. It is the same as like what we've been talking about, where I was trying to find new areas where I was uncomfortable, where I didn't want to keep doing the things that I was good at. I think there is wisdom in finding what you're good at and doing that thing. But that's different than being comfortable and staying comfortable. So I want to do things that I'm good at, but I also want to stay and push myself to a place of being uncomfortable. And um, the business was kind of where. I was uncomfortable. Same with flying helicopters and same with learning lacrosse at 40. <laughs> you know, do you know anyone at 40 that's trying to learn lacrosse? No, lacrosse is a very Kennedy thing to do though. It just sounds like what the Kennedy family would have done. Yeah. <laughs> and then, oh, we did some croquet in the afternoon. And so that's interesting because I guess you wanted to become a public figure. Was that something that drove you as well? Because like UFC is public and you know, you speak and no. this is a byproduct of it. Yeah. I wish that I could be behind the guy saying all the things. Clear and present danger. Harrison Ford, he was talking to the president and he like gave him a nugget of wisdom in a little conference that they had in the Oval Office. He was at home with his wife and the president repeated the thing that Harrison Ford had said. And Harrison Ford was like, I said that. I told him to say that. That was awesome. And I wish that I could have that opportunity to positively impact greater circles and, you know, like larger audiences. And I don't think that my voice is ever going to do that. And I'm never going into politics, you know, but finding the people that I could help and hopefully give wisdom to from all of my failures. And there's lots so that they could not make them themselves. Part of me actually thinks the opposite of that for you. No, no, I, I think you have some messages that are very distinct and unique. And I think other people have them, but you've lived them. I think the difference in you, especially at Sheepdog, you, it showed a lot about your characters that and this is the thing I'm, I'm fucking angry with a lot of people. A lot of people are sitting in their high castles with opinions and commentary and complaints. <laughs> I hate them. Yeah. And you're, you're fucking on yeah. the front line. You know, I'm doing my best to do it on the business side with people saying, hey, let's start get shit going. And I think you're doing that self-confidence, protect yourself, discipline. So I would actually like to see more of your voice out there. I'm going to do my best to get it out there, but we can talk a little bit at the end. I have some other ideas for you to how to get more of your message. I think you should get even further out there. I believe in what I'm saying and I believe in what I'm doing and I believe in the people that I'm working with, you know? Is there anything you want your kids not to learn from you or not follow in your footsteps? Oh man, yeah. A thing or things like, uh, man, like sustains and improves. The ways that I could be a better husband are like, how do you prioritize the things that I have in my life? Mm. I think I have pretty important things in my life, right? Like clearly I've been put on this planet to do a thing. Is that more important than my family? Mm. No, it's not. But can I tell myself that all the time? Or do I have to tell myself, you know, like, see that, like that fault there? 
And I see also people use their family as cop-outs. Like, oh, you know, like I can't do this thing because like I want to spend time with my kids. I don't miss a moment with my kids. They come everywhere with me to sheepdog classes. You know, like I have like structured classes in such a way that they're on weekends mostly and my kids can travel with me to these places that I go. If I'm filming a show for History Channel or Discovery Channel, the networks know that you got to pay for my family to come too because they're coming. I don't care if I'm in Austria or Norway, make sure it's a hotel room big enough for the six of us. You know, so there's a lot of pain in my life, physical and emotional, you know, I'm dumb. I have to learn. And the way I learn is sometimes through failure. You know, like I wouldn't wish my life on my worst enemy. So I know kids follow in their father's footsteps and I, I hope to hell that that's not the case here. Thinking about you as a dad and thinking about my father, maybe what I hope for your children was that they can, this took me till probably like 30, but do the good things that I did like about him and then not make the mistakes and learn from the things that maybe that, that he did. I'm fortunate that I got to see some of the good and the bad so that I can learn from both of those things. I have definitely learned from some of my father's mistakes but I've definitely repeated some of my father's mistakes. Two last things. One, what is in a Kennedy taco? Is it a secret family recipe or is this like? No, we take uh, soft corn tortillas, a little bit of olive oil in the pan, salt. And once you mm. hear the crackling of the salt in the oil, that is when the pan is hot enough for you to put the tortillas in there. So we're going to make almost a crunchy taco shell, but they're not crunchy tacos. Mm. It's a soft taco. So the elk meat is onion powder, garlic powder, cumin, chili powder, and um, sea salt. So there's your taco meat, essentially. And then you have a very simple guacamole, which is serrano peppers, lime, salt, and pepper, and avocado, cilantro, plain Greek yogurt, and then Parmesan cheese. Just a little bit. It's really good. That sounds fucking ridiculous. One thing that I've never really had, I've tried to read more about military because I think from how they do leadership is really interesting. How they do strategy is insanely interesting. I haven't really found any great books on it. Do you have any ones you could point me to? Have you read Jocko Willink's books? Mm -mm. There you go. Okay. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you love the episode as much as I did. If you did, go give Tim some love on Instagram. It's Tim Kennedy MMA, and check out his site. It's one of my favorite things, sheepdogresponse.com. I took the self-defense class. I highly recommend it. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's go ride tandem bikes together. If you want to email me, just don't. I'm not going to check it. But if you want to, it's podcast at okdork.com. Also, remember... Go subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash okdork. I've been putting out a ton of videos about starting marketing and overcoming fear. Oh my. And a final special thanks to Jason at podcasttech.com as always for making these podcasts sound so dope in your eardrums. And I really appreciate Mitchell and Dave as well, the dork team. You guys do so much for me and for all of the people out there. Have a wonderful day. What's your favorite yoga pose? <laughs>